Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're with us this morning, ready to study the Bible, and that's what we do each week is try to answer a few of your questions about the Bible, and through that, hopefully we all know a little bit more about our Bible. You'll see a phone number and a website, bottom of the screen, use those anytime to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. We get all kinds of questions from uh, all kinds of perspectives, and the Bible speaks to everything in life in one way or another, so we can almost always find a biblical principle for whatever your question is, and if you got a specific question about what a verse means or something like that, uh, we'll try to help with that. So that's what we'll do for the next half hour, answer as many questions as we can. And my friend Toby Levering is going to help me with that. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're ready to answer a few, but we always give you one first. So here's your question for the day. What meat did God give Israel in the wilderness? Israel had been on a vegan diet for quite a while, and they were ready for some meat, and they begged God for some. So he gave them some, and we'll tell you what kind at the end of the program, see if you know that little bit of history. Uh, Toby, you got the first one today, so you get to start us off. All right. Uh, the question is, does a person performing a wedding ceremony have to be licensed for the marriage to be legal in God's eyes? Well, at the first, let me say that the Bible really says nothing uh, about wedding ceremonies at all, uh, and certainly not the requirements for the efficient. Um, I think uh, reasonably, uh, because we want to, you know, especially Christ followers need to observe the law and be, you know, respectful of it and submissive to it uh, where they can be. Uh, if it's required in your state for a officiant to be licensed in some way or have their name recorded in a book or uh, given a number or whatever your state might require, uh, then yes, your officiant should do that. Uh, we wouldn't ever want to advocate that you uh, perform a, a, a non-legal marriage, but that's a that's a civil matter and not so much a biblical matter. The, the biblical side of it, the God's view of it, he's more concerned with not the marriage ceremony as he is the marriage covenant. And, and when we go to a wedding ceremony, we understand that there both things are happening. Um, when I perform a wedding, or Steve does, you know, we perform that role as a minister of the gospel. And we bring the biblical account, God's intention for marriage for a uh, husband and wife. And we bring those things up and we join them together in the sight of God and the witnesses. And after the ceremony, at some point, I'll get the bride and groom over and fill out the legal document and send that into the courthouse. Uh, so there's both there. Uh, as far as the Bible's concerned, the, the main consideration is that we understand it is a covenant 
It's between a man and a woman, and it's uh, God intended it to be a lifelong covenant. And so as long as we understand that, I think that's the most important thing. But yes, a you know, wedding ceremony, if, you, if you're efficient, is required to have certain things, and uh, you need to make sure that those things are handled properly. <coughs> Let's look at the verse from Scripture where Jesus talked about marriage. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and following. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. So, the uh, Bible says very little about it, but if you should do it, then you... Do your best to make sure your efficient has done so. All right, in like you said, every state's different. Some require all kinds of things, and some are nothing. Kansas, not anything anymore. Yeah. Just yeah. sign your name, and mm -hmm. <laughs> you're good to go. That's a weird thing. It varies <laughs> it from state to state. It's so. a little different. All right, viewer wants to know if I believe the stories about people dying and then returning to life after a short time. Okay, I need a little more information about what you're talking about. For instance, uh, I've heard lots of stories about somebody that has a near-death experience, we call it. Uh, they technically kind of die from a medical point of view, and when they are revived, they sometimes tell stories about seeing a tunnel of light or uh, somebody at the end of the tunnel welcoming them or something like that. Uh, I don't discount those. I have no way of proving or disproving. Uh, we don't know how the mind works. We don't know about that world between life and death, however many seconds it might last. Uh, so no, I don't discount those at all. I think that's entirely possible. However, uh, there's another phenomenon these days. Uh, I think recently somebody's published a lot of books or sold a lot of books about spending seven days in heaven, of dying and spending seven days in heaven and then coming back somehow and reporting all about it and writing a book and selling some books. Uh, I do not believe that. Uh, I once again can't prove it or disprove it. <clears throat> the reason I disbelieve it is because of the precedent that's been set in the Bible. There are very few people in the world that have died for more than a second or two and come back to life. Jesus raised a few people. Uh, Peter raised a few people. Uh, so there have been a few people in the world that, that happened to. And when it happened, they did not report on what they saw or what they experienced in heaven. Uh, <clears throat> Lazarus is a good example. Lazarus did four days and came back to life. Lazarus, maybe he just didn't know he could have get a publishing contract on his story, but he, he didn't tell us anything about it. Uh, he didn't make any report. And there's another interesting story about the Apostle Paul who went to heaven, went to the third heaven and was a vision. And in fact, he said, I don't even know if it was a vision or if I really went in person. But listen to what he said about that. Let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 4. He refers to himself in the third person <clears throat> out of humility. He said, this man was caught up to paradise, the third heaven, and he heard inexpressible things, thing that, things that man is not 
permitted to tell. Okay, so there we have a real case of somebody uh, that visited the heavenly realm, and when he came back, he wasn't allowed to tell about it, couldn't report it. Uh, maybe it was just too inexpressible to tell, but it sounds like God said, no, don't tell anybody about this. So from those precedents, uh, no, I don't believe that anybody's been dead for seven days and saw heaven and came back and told us about it. But my personal opinion, I can't prove it or disprove it, but I think I'm probably right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, viewer asked the question, is sickness brought on by sin? And my answer to that is possibly. Um, sin, if you don't understand that concept, is simply disobeying God. It's doing what God says not to do or not doing what God says to do. And uh, His commands are intended for our benefit. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are cases where the Israelites, God's people, uh, did not do what God told them to do, either as a group or sometimes individually. And that resulted in God punishing them and inflicting on them a sickness. I don't. I think those instances were very rare, uh, but and when it was, was done, it was done to make a point that God needed His people to trust Him and to take Him at His word and to do exactly as He said. Now, speaking to a broader point, God's commands all the way across are intended for our benefit. In fact, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says, if you'll obey these commands, I will, I will not inflict, bring on you any of these diseases uh, that, that are common among the nations surrounding you. Well, what you look at is when you go through the, uh, the law, the Old Testament law, especially as it pertains to hygiene, whether it was uh, keeping sickness and death away from the camp, uh, not uh, having people to touch dead bodies and uh, all sorts of uh, various laws concerning hygiene things, of principles that they would not have understood then, but now with modern science we go, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> that would keep a traveling group of people where they've got all sorts of potential for sickness and disease to spread. If they followed those rules, uh, they wouldn't have as much problem. Like in today's world, you know, people talk about the need for washing your hands. Well, we understand the need for that. Uh, so in the Old Covenant, if they would obey God's commands, it would be a blessing to them. And that's often why those commands are there. Uh, the problem is we as human beings sometimes uh, don't always fully understand, or maybe even worse, we don't trust God enough to obey that. And, and when we... But when we learn to do to trust the Lord with all our heart, we understand that it's not only good for our faith and brings us closer in our relationship to the Lord, but it also is a blessing to us in our lives. That we will have, uh, as Jesus said, life and life abundant. So, uh, not every case of sickness is the result of a sin, but sometimes when you sin, it's going to... Uh, cause some problems and some sicknesses uh, that um, uh, yeah, an example I can think of is a sexually transmitted disease um, if you and uh, are not sexually immoral if you obey God's commands concerning sexual morality to keep it between a man and a woman to keep it for the covenant of marriage you are in really zero percent 
chance risk of a sexually transmitted disease. But when you go outside of God's plan for sexual uh, relationship, uh, you are at risk for a sexually transmitted disease. Is that God inflicting a punishment? <clears throat> I that's probably debatable. My point is, God put that rule, God put that restriction on us for a purpose. He created a boundary so that we wouldn't uh, be able to enjoy life and enjoy uh, the covenant of marriage and, and so on. So that's one example. The principle is God's ways are best. You follow those, you'll ultimately be blessed. Um, but the, is sickness brought on by sin? possibly, and it kind of depends on, got to judge it on a case-by-case basis. Let's look at 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. God designed, gave us His commands to be a blessing to us. So I hope that clarifies a little bit. All right, let's talk about studying the Bible for just a moment. Uh, we like to study the Bible with you and enjoy sharing a few of the things we've researched and looked up to answer your questions, but uh, you'll have to admit we don't get much of the Bible covered each week, so uh, there's a lot more in the Bible, and our opening and closing talks about that, about the Bible's got principles for all of life. So because of that, we advocate home Bible study. We want people to know their Bible better and better. Uh, we know that's kind of hard to get started sometimes. So we've got some tools that we think are helpful. And uh, thousands of people over the years have agreed that, yeah, this helped me know my Bible. Here's a set of lessons that we start most folks with. It starts out by helping you understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Then we've got more advanced courses that go on from there, a little more detailed. Some of them just about the book of Acts or about the life of Christ. Uh, you can learn a lot about the Bible and, and keep studying for quite a while with Know Your Bible study tools. Uh, we've also added some online studies that we think are going to be very helpful. Uh, go to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and you'll get started on an online Bible study that you see some of the booklets there. They're in the print edition, but you can also do it online with your phone, tablet, PC. And uh, lots of folks are thinking that's a good way to study the Bible. So we offer all those tools. All that's absolutely free of charge. We just want you to study the Bible. I think those are good ways to do it and happy to provide them. So use phone number, website, or that special website and uh, get started in some Bible study. All right, got uh, somebody not happy with us here. A viewer says, I'm disturbed that you insist baptism is necessary for salvation. Uh, Jesus did it all on the cross, and adding anything to that is works. You are misleading people. All right, there's a number of things in there that I could uh, discuss and try to explain, but let me just kind of boil it down here. Uh, number one, I'm sorry you're disturbed. I'm sorry you think we insist on something that's not true. Uh, and I understand why you think that. You, you've been taught uh, that baptism is a work. And uh, let me start out by saying a baptism can be a work. It can be thought of as a work. In fact, that's where this concept that you've been taught uh, started. Uh, in, in the beginning, you read the Bible, and it just says when people believed, uh, they were baptized, and that's when they were saved. After that, they rejoiced. Every story tells it the same way. Uh, but 
after hundreds of years, the church had gotten to the point where baptism was just a ritual, uh, where people didn't even think about it as an act of obedience. In fact, it was done to infants, so the infant didn't know anything. And that rite, that ritual, uh, became considered, that's what saved you. Well, that's a work. That's a human thing that you do, and it doesn't have anything to do with the heart. doesn't have anything to do with somebody knowing God or having a relationship with Him. It's just, okay, somebody baptized me, so I'm okay. Uh, and that was wrong. That's where we had gotten after hundreds of years. And the Reformers, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and some of them, came along and looked at that and said, well, that's wrong. Uh, Baptism's not just something that's done to you and magically uh, makes you saved. It's about faith. You've got to believe. You've got to have faith. And so they kind of swung the pendulum from a work clear over to uh, there's nothing you can do. Absolutely nothing. God just saves you if you believe. And it's faith only was the principle. Uh, they swung the pendulum too far, and one thing that our viewer said in his statement there was, uh, Jesus did it all on the cross, and adding anything is works. Well, see, you, you don't really believe that, because if I said, well, do you have to repent? You'd say, oh yeah, you have to repent. Well, isn't that adding something to Jesus' work on the cross? If I said, do you have to confess that you believe in Jesus? Well, you have to do that. Well, isn't that adding something to Jesus' work on the cross? Uh, you see, it's baptism that bothers some people because they've been taught what the Reformers came up with, that it's faith only. Well, there's a lot of things the Bible says we have to do. Uh, in fact, Toby just read 1 John 5, 3. Uh, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Okay? So the Bible says we ought to do a lot of things. We ought to obey God. And that's what happens when you believe. You obey Him. So when we say that baptism is necessary for salvation, we don't mean that being dipped in water saves you no matter what your heart condition is. Uh, we just say that that's where the Bible says we are saved. That's when we are saved. Over and over, that's what the Bible says. Let me just read you one passage. And our viewer said, we insist. I'm just reading the Bible here. I'm not insisting anything. Uh, but let me just read you a couple of verses, and you see what you think the Bible says about baptism. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. The people on Pentecost, when they heard this, when they heard that they'd crucified the Son of God, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, what did Peter insist, if you want to use that word? Uh, what do you do when you realize that you're a sinner? Well, he said, you repent and be baptized. And that will give you forgiveness of your sins. Okay, it's not the act in the water that 
saved. We don't believe in water regeneration. Uh, it's a, an obedient act of faith, obeying what Jesus said to do. So uh, I hope that clears it up a little bit for some folks and our viewer. And once again, I'm sorry you're disturbed with our insistence, but we're just reading the Bible accounts and uh, showing what the Bible says about baptism, we think. All right, Toby. Another baptism question. This time, not about the baptizer, but the baptize, or the I guess about the baptizer instead of the baptizee. Can any saved believer baptize another person, or is only a preacher or minister authorized to to do that? Uh, <clears throat> my opinion, uh, really, the, there's not any biblical rules about who the baptizer must be. So, generally speaking, I think. If the person baptizing is another Christian, uh, I think that makes uh, good sense. Uh, and that's the, the example we find in the Bible. Every example of uh, one person baptizing another, the person baptizing was a, a Christian, a believer in Jesus. Uh, Philip the Apostle baptized the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8. Um, uh, Peter and the apostle uh, baptized, uh, or Peter's servants, baptized Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Uh, Paul, uh, the apostle, and uh, or his companions baptized Lydia in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul, uh, either, uh, either Paul or Silas baptized the jailer and his family in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul baptized Crispus and Gaius and the Corinthians in Acts chapter 18, and Paul baptized some disciples at Ephesus um, in Acts chapter 19. So there are lots of examples of that. We don't see an example of a person becoming a Christian uh, without the Bible mentioning their baptism. And so as far as the person who did the baptism, baptizing, uh, that's uh, every person who did it was uh, another believer who uh, ascribed to what they were teaching or what they were leading that person to do. Uh, one other point, I think, uh, and I think we've mentioned it on this program before, I think if you've got someone that you look up to, that you... Uh, are close to that, uh, you know, I've, I've seen fathers baptizing their children. I've seen uh, um, uh, people that they might call a spiritual role model baptizing uh, uh, a younger person. Those are good and fine things to do, and I think it might make the, the memory and the meaning of that moment a little bit more powerful. But Scripture, of course, doesn't say anything that that's a requirement. Um, baptism is really not about the one doing the baptism, baptizing as much as it is the, the what's happening in that moment. So uh, hope that helps. All right. Looks like we've stirred up a lot of questions that yeah. start about baptism here. <laughs> this viewer wants to know or says, I've been baptized, uh, but I've backslid. Uh, how can I be reborn? All right. Let me say this very carefully, and you, you listen very carefully. Uh, if you were baptized, if you were spiritually born again, which is what baptism is, uh, then you can't be reborn and you don't need to be reborn. Uh, physical birth is a one-time thing. Spiritual birth is a one-time thing. 
All right, let me read a verse, and then we'll talk about that some more. In John chapter 3 is where we get this new birth idea. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, Jesus answered, and that's Nicodemus he's talking to, and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus said, no, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. All right, Nicodemus was a sinner. He needed a spiritual rebirth. He had already been physically born once. Now he needed to be spiritually born from above. So that's where we get the concept. He was uh, anyone who obeys the gospel is baptized into Christ, has been spiritually reborn. It happens at baptism, like we've been saying. So, if you've done that, and now you've been distracted by the world, you've been pulled away by sin, uh, you need to get back on track. You may need to uh, confess your sin. You may need to repent of it. Uh, You need to ask forgiveness. You reconnect with your church family and with God and recommit and renew your purpose. You can do all those things. Uh, You don't need to be reborn. Uh, You're spiritually born, but you need to get back on track. So I hope that's that's clear. Uh, For example, marriage. If somebody gets married and then strays, they drift apart and all that, uh, unless they're legally divorced, they don't need to be remarried. They need to get reconnected. They need to get straightened out, get back together, uh, do some healing and confessing and forgiving and all of that. So same way with a spiritual birth. Let me mention a couple of churches that support the program. We like to mention some, uh, the churches of Christ that help us stay on the air each week. And let me uh, share a couple with you uh, outside of Wichita, Emporia, Kansas, and Eureka, Kansas. Both have fine congregations of the Church of Christ and support this program. Uh, if you live near one of them, drop in and visit them sometime or tell them thanks for keeping you keeping us on the air. All right, Toby, you got about a one-minute answer here. Yeah, we can do it. Uh, Where does it say, I knew you before you were conceived? How is that possible? Well, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 is where the scriptures found. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Of course, obviously, the context is God telling <laughs> Jeremiah that he was created for a purpose and for a reason, reminding him that. But we gain some deeper lessons that conception is where not only the physical development begins, but we're, that we are more than just physical beings, that God knows our spirits and are the eternal part of us even before we begin to exist. So uh, it is possible. We knew that God knew Jeremiah, and we presume that God knows all of us that are created in God's image, which is all of us, and uh, he knows us that way. So how is that possible? Because God is God. <laughs> I hope that helps. All right. Thank you. And thanks for squeezing that in. We are about out of time today for questions, but we're glad you've been with us. And we want to make sure to get our trivia question answered. We asked about Jesus, our God giving some kind of meat to the Israelites in the wilderness, and he treated them very well. He sent quail to them. Uh, that's about as good as you can get, some good quail meat. So he, <laughs> he sent that to them. Uh, and... Uh, uh, gave them what they want in 
for a while, and they didn't. They got tired of that too. So yeah. people or something. <laughs> Anyhow, we're glad you've been with us, and we hope that you come back next week uh, when we answer some more of your questions. Uh, sign up for that correspondence course if you haven't done that yet, and uh, we'll just see you next week. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.